Confessions of a Potty Mouth Chef. I'm that person, Vicki Van Dyke. How to cheat, eat, and be happy. Something's fishy in Vancouver. Okay, as I approach my dotage, and maybe I'm already there, I'm trying to eat more healthy foods, watch my portion sizes, exercise regularly, get all zen whenever possible. I do a big walk every morning, and I also try for a 30-minute yoga practice a few times a week, which actually involves only about 20 minutes of poses and stretches and 10 minutes, five at each end, of relaxation and meditation. Zen is good, right? Especially if you're a bit of a a type A nutcase. No, not you, me. For me, cooking is zen. Like I said, sometimes it's therapy. Sometimes it's just busy hands. It is sensual and relaxing and creative, all things we need daily. Cassandra says that watching me in action is like watching a cooking show on television, except maybe a bit more personal and comical, because I do like to make people laugh. A few years back, when I first started that online dating thing, the eight-week Grover hiatus, during which time I went on eight dates with eight different guys, none of whom were even vaguely interesting to me, and even though I made the effort and got all dolled up and even happily paid my half of the evening's tab as protocol dictates, I typically ended the night weeping in my bathtub, missing Grover horribly. And I do apologize for this run-on sentence, but sometimes it's the only way to get stuff out there. Well, I finally met a nice guy named Charles, soon to become Charlie, at least to me. Charlie was, and still is, drop-dead gorgeous, hilariously funny on the phone, smart, an accomplished yoga instructor, and, as luck and geography would have it, living on the other side of the country. We emailed, shared countless photos, chatted online, and talked on the phone for hours every day. In his first email, he called me astonishingly beautiful. (laughs) For a word girl like me, that special accommodation held a lot of currency. When I say hilariously funny on the phone, I mean the guy could make me laugh daily, usually out of the blue. Much like cooking, I am typically the comedian, so I thought it was pretty cool that this guy had me in stitches. Because the distance between us was so great, we couldn't exactly meet up for a drink the moment we were ready, so we just kept chatting and emailing and chatting some more. We often discussed what would happen when we finally met. Is there anything that worries you, Vicky, or scares you about finally getting together with me? I paused for a moment, gathering my thoughts, trying to figure out how I was going to say what I was going to say without hurting his feelings or totally derailing our future. You see, Charlie was a thoroughly modern West Coast dude, which means he was as in touch with his feminine side as anyone I'd ever met. Yet, when I asked him why he took up yoga, he replied in his lilting voice, I used to play all the big boy sports, you know, football, soccer, basketball, and I was always sore. So I started reading about yoga and honey, that sounded like a lifesaver to me. Pretty soon I was doing yoga all the time and teaching yoga and had no time for those big boy sports anymore. He did still play squash and well too. And if you're familiar with the grouse grind in Vancouver, a hellish steep walk up the mountain, He also did that a few times a week. The guy was buff. He was also pretty vain and sent me loads and loads of photos, some taken on the day and some golden oldies. 
One set included some nude yoga pose pictures that his ex-girlfriend had snapped. They were damn impressive, except he photoshopped out his penis. It was just a blur. I exclaimed on the phone, no wonder you're single. You don't have a dick. To his credit, he laughed. I continued, okay then. So did you blur out your manhood because it's so tiny you didn't want to frighten me? He laughed again, thank God. No, Vicky, I blurred out my manhood because I didn't want the photos to seem pornographic. I think they are more like art. Well, that they were. And honestly, I wasn't that concerned with the size of his dick. I was a little more concerned with his voice. Like I said, it was somewhat lilting, to the point of sounding almost gay, you know, in the stereotypical, almost comic way. And so I mentioned it to him. His response, you're kidding, right? And when I didn't immediately answer, he hung up. I was astounded and scared. And then the phone rang again. Hey, baby, Chuck here. His voice was gruff and loud and deep and decidedly masculine in a very weird comedic way. How you doing today, sweetheart? Just checking in before I hop in my truck and hightail it to the gym to lift weights and stare at all them cute asses. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. Chuck? He was definitely not a Chuck. Charles or Charlie, but no way Chuck. Not even Chucky. Do you like me better now? He was back to his normal voice. Well, damn, I liked that the guy could make me laugh. I liked that the guy didn't take himself too seriously. I liked that he was gorgeous and buff, and I liked that he liked me. It had almost been six months since Grover, and I was lonely and horny. We finally devised a plan to meet. It was New Year's Eve 2006, and I was going to fly out to Vancouver for our first date. I was excited and terrified at the same time. Shortly after Gover, Grover and I, Gover, Grover and I split, you know, for the final time, I moved into a new home. I had come to the realization that I would most likely never share the barn with him, would be kind of crowded in that bed with him, his ex-wife and me. And my sweet little townhouse was just a tad tiny for entertaining and music making. It was also a condo with loads of stupid condo rules, and I hate being told what to do by anyone. So Jack and I moved to a brand new bungalow loft a few blocks away. He was happy because we were still in the hood with all his newfound friends. I wasn't happy, more like morosely miserable, but moving, unpacking, and, decor- and decorating, hey, it gave me something to focus on while I tried to mend my annihilated heart. And the new house gave me a clean slate. No HBS memories, no Grover memories, just Jack, me, and our orange cat. The night before my fateful journey to British Columbia, Cassandra was at my kitchen counter waiting for dinner, offering support and wisdom, and just generally talking me through my nerves. She knew how scared I was. And as I scurried around my workspace, grabbing things from the pantry and fridge, She just kept talking quietly, lulling me into a blissful sense of security. Until I bent over to retrieve the spinach from the bottom shelf of my fridge, without skipping a beat, she said, Wow, Vic, Charlie's going to be in heaven because you have a really great ass. This is why Cassandra is such a good friend. And this is why cooking brings me such joy. It makes me feel fluid and competent and sexy. So let's talk about fish. Fish. 
because we all know how good it is for you and eating more of it will make you sexy. Really, I've never much liked fish that taste like fish, go figure. And I sure as heck don't like my dinner staring back at me. me. I mean, seriously, why do they do that in fancy restaurants? Does anybody eat the head, the scales, the tail? Yuck, get rid of it, I say. I've never eaten a chicken breast with the head attached. Why do I need to see Nemo's face gazing blankly at me, inspiring guilt after every bite? I buy trout fillets, salmon, sole, tilapia, whitefish, no muss, no fuss, no head, no blank stares, just fish that taste good and not too fishy. Now, I realize that if I was really health conscious, I would grill that fish with lemon, add a salad, and be done with it. I'm not that health conscious. I still want a yummy meal, preferably with a few healthy components. I also love the idea of stuffing a fish, not to mount on the wall, ew, but to eat, mostly because I love stuffing. And really, we only get it twice a year, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and that is simply not enough. I've had stuffed fish in restaurants, and I've bought frozen stuffed fish, but I've never quite sorted out how you successfully get the stuffing into the fish. Hmm, another messy sport, and you already know how I feel about messy sports. The other thing is, I do not make stuffing from scratch. Holy cow, did I ever botch a batch one Christmas when I way overdid the sage. Now, I just buy it in a box. It's so darn good, I'm afraid I just keep tasting and tasting long after I know it's so darn good. On holidays, I make lots of extra because quite frankly, after all my taste testing, I count myself lucky to have some left to put in the bird. And that's the thing. Big old turkeys are easy to stuff. Even easier if you buy the new pre-stuffed kind. Fish, not so easy. So I don't. I just put the stuffing on the fish because ultimately the flavors all blend together in the pan, in your mouth, and in your tummy. Why stand on ceremony in on whatever? So here's my easy peasy non-stuffed stuffed trout with two variations, no less. Mango citrus stuffed trout. Just buy one or two small fillets, one box of stuffing mix, two clementines or peaches or nectarines or mango cut into pieces, handful of spinach, handful of cashews, and a half a cup of your fabulous mango citrus dressing. Place the trout in a shallow roasting pan, make the stuffing according to the package, dump it on the trout, add the spinach, the fruit, the nuts, saturate it all with the dressing. Cover with tin foil, bake at about 350 for 45 minutes. You know, I really cannot tolerate gelatinous fish, so make sure it's cooked through. Now, here's the other variation, cranberry stuffed trout. This one was born after a huge turkey dinner. What do you do with leftover cranberry sauce? And stuffing for that matter, you know, on the off chance there is some. Well, I have several upcoming suggestions, but why not trout them up? Just substitute the cranberry sauce for the mango citrus dressing. In this application, you'll want to spread the sauce directly on the fish, then add the other ingredients. And now baked rice. I like to serve fish with rice and here is my foolproof baked rice recipe passed down to me by my mama. And when I say foolproof, I mean it because you really can't kill this sucker. I hate soggy, glumpy rice. And if you underbake this, just put it back in the oven. And if you overbake it, which I've done many times, 
Because you know how sometimes you're cooking and then you get talking and drinking wine and forgetting there's something in the oven? It becomes more like fried rice and that's a good thing too. Two cups of long grain rice, three and a half cups of hot water. I know they say two to one, but heck, what do they know? In my experience, a little less liquid is better. One large glob of butter or a splash of garlic olive oil and one tablespoon of chicken bouillon, you know, the powdery stuff from a cube. Mix it all together, bake it covered in a casserole dish for at least 45 minutes, same time as the fish. Longer if you get drunk, it's just not a problem. Add a salad or some steamed vegetables and voila, a beautiful meal and nothing fishy about it. And really, if you're not a fish lover, try the above with chicken or pork. They both work just as well. And don't forget, these recipes are all available on the Potty Mouse Chef Facebook page. So, you probably want to know what happened with Charlie, right? I'll tell you next time when the Potty Mouse Chef returns. And that's me, Vicki Van Dyke. Confessions and more cheating on the way. See you next time. <laughs>